Well, it's certainly joy to uh, worship the Lord together, and um, it's an important part of our life that we come together like this, take advantage of these opportunities. You know, <clears throat> I know in my own life, um, I tell you, sometimes things come your way that are tough, you know, and without, without the truth of God's word, without the joy of worshiping him with his people, without the reality that I know God is in control of all things. He's got, he's got my future in his hand. I don't know about you, but I, I, I couldn't go on. But God has us in the palm of his hand. Nothing can snatch us from there. I don't know what's going on in your life today. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know your story of this week. But I don't need to know. Because all we're going to do today is look to Christ and allow him to, to really speak to our hearts. I'll tell you, one of the things I'm very thankful for is I'm thankful, and, and some of you are not going to appreciate this, but I'm thankful for my iPhone before the Lord. You know why? Now, I know some of you are like, oh, man, I'm leaving this place. But let me tell you why. I am able to download so many quality things that lead me in worship when I'm just driving down my road. When I'm just riding down the road and I'm, I'm just listening to, to praise music or I'm, I'm just listening to the word of God, I tell you, God just really ministers to my heart. And I don't know if you have this experience or not to where, where just the simple singing along, as horrible as it might be, to praise songs on my car radio or hearing God's word read to me can be a powerful tool in my life. Now this summer, what we're going to do together, we're going to spend the whole summer in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, and it's 32 verses, and you might say, well, that's going to be a lot of messages on, on one chapter of Scripture. But you're going to be shocked, as I have been, at how practical and how varied the instruction is of Ephesians 4. And to kind of warm us up to that, I, I want to share with you something I've been listening to for like the last three or four weeks. I stumbled onto this just by accident, okay, it's called, I think it's called Street Lights Ministry, and it's just a group of guys, these guys are from Moody Bible Institute, they graduated there in, the, in Chicago, and they just really had the, felt the heart to just share God's word in a way that would feel um, relevant to young people today. And although I'm not young, okay, I stumbled onto this and I'm like, man, this is really dynamic, and so we're going to just listen to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll have the text up on the screen. You follow along and just, let's just, let's just, we're going to ask the Lord's Spirit to really speak to our hearts as we hear this. Pray with me and then we'll hear God's word. Father, thank you for your word. It's so living, so active. We pray your spirit would do just what we sang, Lord, that you'd open up our hearts to you. So now, Lord, even through the reading of your word, challenge us. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take four and a half minutes and listen to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Unity in the body. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Living as children of light. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They had no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. sharing of God's word. He's identified you as his. I want to talk this summer about, really, the masterpiece life. In Ephesians chapter 2, turn your Bible there with me, would you? Ephesians chapter 2. It says here that we are God's workmanship. 2.10. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This summer we're going to talk about our walk. We're going to talk about our walk in Christ and and what that means and, and what God intends for us as we walk. Now, walk, as we shared last week, is a metaphor for our life. And as you look through the book of Ephesians, it's, it's really pretty amazing to see all the different references to this concept of walk. I think I have some up on the screen for you, if you'd advance the next slide for me. And we, we saw that last week we walked worthy. And we talked about the fact that we are to walk worthy of our calling, regardless of your circumstances. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. We're to walk as Jesus walked. We talked about how this is a a balancing act now of our belief, what we believe about Christ, and our life balancing out so that our lives, our walk, aligns with our calling. That's where we were last week. And now we're going to continue as we we see what this walk is. I'm going to focus today on verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians 4. So I can't read it quite as good as those guys did, but let me read to you verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4 now of Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Now, as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're going to see this concept of walk over and over and over. And there's, I want to warn us today about some wrong understandings we can have about our walk with Christ. Remember, walk just basically means how we live. That our lives align with who we've been made to be. That, that we are aligned with this calling and that our, our actions balance with what we say our belief is. And as you go through Ephesians, I'll just hit these just to remind you. We, we looked at them briefly last week. We talked about that we're to have a worthy walk from 4.1, a unique walk from 4.17, a love walk, a light walk, a wise walk. This, This concept of walking as Jesus walked is all through Ephesians. And basically what it means is your life is to reflect God and reflect Christ. It's a cliche, but it works. You may be the only Bible that people ever see. Your life is to reflect who God is. But I want to start today, before I go into the passage, and I want to warn you of of two obstacles. There's a very important warning for us. We we want to have a a power walk with Christ. That's really the, the, the kind of a title for today, be power walking. You've seen people power walk, right? You know what walking is going to be, or may already be, an Olympic event. I researched it some just this week. It's hilarious. I, I, I can't really do it, okay? But they have these rules for how they walk. Like one of them is that you must have, a, have one foot on the ground at all times in order for it to be a walk and not a run. You can't lift up both feet off the ground. And, and try to do it. I mean, it's, it's really very hard. And if you've ever seen, like, professional Olympic walkers, they're hilarious looking, okay? Second thing, your front leg has to be straight when it hits the ground. If you're interested in, you know, starting a career, okay, it's got to be straight. So, you know, they're doing this. This is just sort of the rules. And so because of this, you can't get the power of your body, okay? So what they do when you watch them, I mean, their hips, like really, really, I won't go any more detail than that, okay? But they are just all over the place when they're walking, when they're power walking. And it's it's cool to watch it. Check it out on YouTube. They've got all these like instructional videos, how to power walk, okay? And in the competitions, they have these judges that are watching They're watching for potential ways that people mess up their power walk. And they say about these paddles, they're all along the track. They're they're going around the track. I mean, they can walk faster than I've ever dreamed of running. You know, I mean, they're moving. And they've got these judges all around the power walking course. And they've got these little paddles. And they're yellow and they're red. And they get a warning, a yellow. You, you know, I don't know whether that means they both feet weren't on the ground or maybe that front leg bent or maybe they didn't move their hips enough. I don't know. But they had some violation and they warned them. As I understand, two, you're out. So it's sad because these people will train and train and train to do this crazy power walk, okay? And they'll, they'll, they'll fall to one of the common obstacles and they're out of the race. Before we get into what this is calling us to today, I want to warn us about two obstacles. Two obstacles that, that if we aren't careful, can destroy us. You see, we need to be strengthened by our inner man. Our inner man. So on your notes today, I I really have two warnings, two obstacles that I want to speak against. The first one is dead man walking. Dead man walking. That's the first obstacle. And the second one is new man, and I made up a word here, selfing. Okay? Dead man walking, new man selfing. Before I go into the passage and see what we're called to, I want to warn you against these obstacles. Because I'm telling you, there are people in this room that are going to leave here. And they're going to try to apply what we're going to talk about through one of those two methods. Dead man walking or new man selfing. And you will bring no glory to God 
And only find failure and discouragement for yourself. First of all, dead man walking. Now we know that in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are all born dead. Children of wrath. Following the prince of the power of this world. Following the passions of our flesh. And there are many people who come to church on a regular basis. And they hear the teaching of God's word. Today I'm going to challenge you to be humble and to be gentle and to be patient. And you're going to hear that. And your spirit, your conscience is going to bear witness against you. Romans chapter 2, verse number 15. Your conscience will bear witness against you that you aren't always humble, you aren't always gentle, you aren't always patient. And some, in their dead man, they're not even a believer in Jesus Christ. And they may leave this room and they may say, I'm going to be more humble now. And on your own, as a dead man, you will not succeed. You will fail. A dead man walking cannot live what God has called us to. Cannot. That's the first obstacle. You are not saved by being humble. You're not saved by being patient. You're not saved by bearing with one another. You're not saved by these things. You are only saved through what Christ has done. Responding in faith to his offer of grace, God makes you a new creature. Dead men can't be humble. Dead men can't be patient. So watch out for that. Ephesians 4 is a new man on display. Is a new creature on display. Outside of Christ, this is all just worthless, honestly. You can't do it. You can't be humble. You can't be patient. First obstacle, dead man walking. Second one, though, new man. So these are believers. Selfing. Now, that's not a word, I know, okay? But it's important for us to know what it means, at least what I mean that it means. You're in Ephesians, right? Look back at chapter 3. We're in chapter 4. Let's do some good Bible study here and see the verses that come right before it. You see, in 4, 1, 2, and 3, we're going to be charged to do something, to be something, to give evidence of something. But right before this, we see the power that there is to live out these very things. Look with me at chapter 3, verse 20. Notice what it says. 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory. Here's what I want us to see. When God's spirit comes and lives inside of us and we are a new creature, this is the power that God brings into our life to give evidence of his work. We, you don't trust Jesus, so then get your past to heaven, and now work with all of your might and all of your strength to be humble and patient and long-suffering and unified and bear with the difficult people in your life. You still don't do this in your own efforts. Ephesians 3.20 is telling us, That God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. And most of us think, ooh, I imagine a red Mustang. And so God can do even more than that. He'll give me a red Corvette. No. No. Now you may disagree with him whether or not a Corvette is more than a Mustang. But don't miss the real point. God here is not saying he is able to do far more than all you can ask or think. So sit down and think about the best thing you can come up with and God can do that. What he's saying is he will do in your life what he knows to be far more than what we can ask or think. You see, part of being a new creature, part of being a new man, 
is my priorities are now his priorities. My idea of his best is his idea of best. So in reality, what this is saying, some of you aren't going to like this. Some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to tell you. This is no promise of a red Corvette or a red Mustang. It's no promise of a three-bedroom, two-bath, picket fence, whatever it might be. It's no promise of a wife. It's no promise of a husband. It's no promise of a child. It's no promise of success in your work or success in your family. It's not what, a, it's not what this promise is. The promise is that God can produce in you something that is absolutely impossible. He can do in you the absolute impossible thing. He can do in you what no man can do. Because here's the reality. I could find a man who could give you a red Corvette. Don't ask me to. I'm not telling you his name. Okay? I could find a man who could give you a red Corvette or a red Mustang. Let me come into your life like 24-7. Me and a group of people and watch you and speak to you. Don't say that. Don't say that to your wife. You say this, and then you, like a puppet, spit it out, and you could work towards a good marriage. The right number of people directing you in everything you say and do, man could do that. Man could give you a house. You could win, you know, at all these television shows, they, you know, ooh, there's your home. It could happen. But try to find a man to make you humble. Try to find a man to help you to be patient with your difficult child. Try to find a man or a woman to come into your life so you can be long-suffering with difficult people. Let me save you the pain, time, and effort. It's not going to work. But God's Spirit can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. In you, he could make you, you know you, you know how you really are. You know your sharp tongue. You know how quick you can say just the right thing to crush someone's spirit. You know those feelings that come up in your heart of envy and strife and just a callous, just disdain for the people in your life. You know that man, right? You know that woman that lives inside you. God's spirit can do even more than you could ask or think, or NIV says, imagine, according to the power at work within you. So let's be very, very careful here. That we aren't slipping into either a dead man trying to produce or a new man working through the power of self. Instead, let's allow the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, to allow our inner man, the inner man now, to be on display. What's that look like? Well, first of all, notice in verses 1 and 2, that Paul here is calling us to this, this powerful progression. I, I want you to see this. That we're going to see a powerful progression of influence in the world. We're going to see this, this movement of, of change in our spirit that could literally change the world that you live in. I want to give you just a, a slide to think about for the rest of our time together. It's just a progression of, of what God desires to do. Go ahead. There you go. And let's just read through this now and see what God is calling us to. Verse numbers 2 and 3. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what the new man will produce. The spirit will allow the new man to reveal in our lives. First of all, humility. 
Now, what is humility? It says here that we are to align ourselves with our calling, walk manner and worthy, first of all, with all humility. Humility. Well, let me give you a definition, okay? The definition of humility is this, to think or judge with lowliness. To think or judge with lowliness. It's a compound word in Greek, and you take the word think or judge and lowliness, and you cram them together. And so what it is, it's to, it's to have a view of yourself that does not demand its rights or its privileges. That's what humility is. It's interesting, the Greeks and the Romans, so that would have been the world powers of the day when Paul wrote this, they had no word for humility. Isn't that interesting? The Greeks and all of their knowledge, the Romans and all of their power had no word to express humility. So God inspired Paul to make up this word and then attribute it to Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Turn over to Philippians 2, verse number 8. Talking about Jesus here in this great song of praise to God, to to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, speaking of the incarnation of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself. This is the idea of humility by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So humility is this. It's a willingness to deny yourself the rights or power that you believe you deserve. That's what it is. And it is an evidence of God's spirit working in you. A willingness to deny yourself of your very rights. I deserve this. I demand this. You will treat me such and such. You will do what I want. It's very easy to see the opposite. The opposite is pride. The opposite is pride. Pride, the first sin in reality. Satan himself rose up in pride against God and said, I will exert my power. I will grab what is rightfully mine in my own eyes. Humility. Its opposite is pride. And it is where Paul starts here as we talk about what the inner man looks like on display. It starts with humility. Now I want to continue to talk about this a little bit because I think it's something that's it's easy to see the opposite but it's hard to see it in ourselves. It's hard to define it and understand it. So I want to give you a a biblical kind of concept of what God-honoring humility is. It starts by looking at Jesus and seeing him laying aside his very rights of, of all that he had for eternity to take on flesh and become a man. So the first thing that we need to recognize to to move to allow God's spirit to produce humility in us is number one, you must realize your own unworthiness. That's where humility starts. It starts in recognizing our own unworthiness. So how do you view yourself? It's a shame. Some people have been in Christ for so long. They've been, they've been following Jesus, kinda, for so long. They've forgotten their unworthiness. That wasn't the words of Paul. In 1 first, in Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, I am the chief among sinners. I'm the lead sinner, Paul says. Get in line behind me because I'm number one in the sin list. How do you view yourself? Unworthy? Unworthy? It moves from unworthiness to look to Jesus. 
to look at him in his perfection, to look at him in his, his righteousness and saying, I am so short of that. I'm so short of Jesus. All power in the flesh, deity as a man, I am short of that. And so thirdly, it expects to be treated no differently than Christ. Can you wrestle with that a little bit? Humility understands my unworthiness, understands Christ's righteousness. And so I expect no different than what Jesus experienced. Say, you don't know what it's like to live with him. You don't know what it's like to live with her. You don't know what it's like to work where I work. You don't know what it's like to experience what I've experienced. I don't have to know. I'm not your God. You look to Jesus. You look to him. We want to be like Christ. We want to walk like Jesus. What'd they do to Jesus? Well, they ripped his beard out of his face. They took a throne of corns and slammed it on his head, thorns and slammed it on his head and hit him across the head with a staff. And then his face all mangled and, and puffed up from being abused. They'd strike him across the face and say, oh, prophesy, tell us who hit you. Nail him to a cross. Let him hang there and die for hours. And then mocked him as he said, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. You want to see humility? You want to know what Jesus, what God's spirit will work in you? You look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. And in this humility then, I don't demand my rights. I don't, I don't demand my, my strength. I don't, I don't demand the advantage that I get as, as all of my worthiness. I don't demand that. I submit to God. And I depend upon his grace. This is what God will do in you. This is what God will produce in you as his spirit works in you. It's no longer my way or the highway. It's no longer I deserve this. I'll tell you, over the years of my ministry, I've done a lot of marriage counseling. I've done a lot of marriage counseling. And I've sat there with couples and heard them tell me everything she's saying, and I'll get to him in just a minute, but she's saying everything that he's doing that doesn't align with what she deserves. And then he's on the other side of the table telling me everything that she does that doesn't align with what he deserves. And I tell you, I sit there in my heart and I think, we're on a fast road to divorce court. Because the only hope any two people have of having relationship that works as it's meant to be, that brings joy and glory to God, is spirit in God, spirit of God produced humility. That's it. That's it. Otherwise, you're helpless. You're helpless. Okay, then it moves on. Watch what happens here. I love what God's spirit does here, okay? So we start out with this humility, okay? That I'm not gonna demand what's rightfully mine in my own eyes. I'm not gonna demand it. I'm not gonna demand it. No, I'm gonna, by faith now, you need to know, you do this by faith. You do this by faith. You step off the edge, woo-hoo-hoo, and you are walking now by faith and saying, God, I'm gonna live like Jesus. I'm not going to demand my rights. I'm not going to demand what I want. I'm going to step off by faith. And what are you trusting? What are you trusting? You are trusting that God's spirit is going to enable you to continue. He might work in her heart or his heart to change. Maybe. He might keep you through the storm. But don't you worry. You and I must walk as Christ walked. What? Regardless of circumstances. 
regardless. Okay, move along. Go from humility to gentleness. Now, gentleness doesn't sound all that manly, you know? Gentleness is not all that manly. You know, follow me down in the woods where I'm going to cut down a tree and, you know, cut that thing up and split it with them all. Man, I'm not too gentle out there, you know? I'm just cutting that thing down and down up and I cut some more and I chop it, you know, and I carry big piles of wood. It doesn't sound real gentle. We need to be careful here what this word means, though. Your translation may say meekness. Some of you, it says that. Now, what is this concept? First of all, I want you to recognize that, that it has more to do with what we don't do. Gentleness has more to do with what we don't do. It has the idea of being self-controlled, mild-spirited. You've probably heard this illustration. It's, it's perfect. What the word in the day meant is it meant a, a powerful horse that had been broken. That, that had been broken to where somebody could jump on top of that thing and ride it. I've been on a horse without a saddle that wasn't broken. Someday I'll tell you that story. It's a scary event, let me tell you. It truly is. This is the idea, this idea of gentleness is power under control. So we have a a person with humility. Now the inner man, the spirit of God is producing this humility that doesn't demand rights. So now we have power under control. Under control. I remember when I was a Younger father, and my children were younger, and I'd wrestle them. You know, we'd be wrestling around on the ground, and, you know, they would get on top of me, and I would throw my arms back on the ground like this, and they'd be on top of me, holding my arms down, okay? You know, like they got me pinned to the ground, and my little, you know, three, five, six-year-old is on me, and I'd go, oh, like I was trying to push them up off the ground, and boom, I'd, you know, slam my hands back around, and they would just love it. You know, they'd be like, oh, I'm stronger than daddy, you know what? I could have stood up and just tore them to pieces. I mean, I could have just clobbered them in a second, pick them up, break them over my knee, right? But do I? No. I was gentle. I was meek. Power under control. Just because your words bite doesn't mean you use them. Just because you can manipulate doesn't mean you do. Just because you can say those things and do those things that hurt doesn't mean you follow through on it. In humility, gentleness now is about us not doing. You cannot do this on your own. You cannot, please, do not dead man walk and do not new man self. You cannot do this on your own. It is the inner man revealing himself or herself. And then it goes to with patience. With patience. Now your translation, some of the old translations say long-suffering. Okay, long-suffering. And literally, what it means is, takes a long time to boil over. That's what it means. It takes a long time to boil over. This is long-suffering with, honestly, difficult people and difficult circumstances. You say, you don't know what she's like, Lowell. If you could hear the way she talks to me, I would say... Let God's spirit work in you to be patient, long time to boil. That's what this word means. With circumstances and with people. This again, where where our last word gentleness is about what we do. This word patient is about what we feel. It's about what we feel. It's important. Let me just tell you a little principle about life. Your feelings follow your actions. Your feelings follow your actions. 
Don't buy the lie of the culture that says, I don't love him anymore. No. Your feelings follow your actions. We have the action gentleness in control. Now we have the feelings of patience. My feelings now in control. Long to boil. You ever had a co-worker that could boil your flesh? Man, I do. And I tell you, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we all have people. We all have people. And they, they, they know how to, they just know how to push our buttons. Don't they? Sadly, you all have an image in your head right now, somebody's face. Wouldn't it be cool if I could push a button and they would all come above your head like a little bubble? Okay? I see myself. Oh, man. We all have these people. And we all have these circumstances. Let me tell you one that I, that I have a real heart for. Because it's not just difficult people, it's also difficult circumstances. Have you ever had long-term pain? Some of you are smiling at me because you know. We're ongoing. I don't mean you, you, you smash your finger and it hurts for a couple days. I mean the kind of thing that after a year, two, three years, you've got... You talk to the doctor and they give you very little hope that's ever even going to change. See, that's a difficult circumstance. And, and I know from experience that you get real snappy with people. You start thinking, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have this. I'm a good guy. I love the Lord. Why, why do I have this? What's that sound like? A lack of Humility, right? It's a lack of, what do I actually deserve? Mm. Do we really want what we deserve? No. So then what happens is I start being real sharp with people because I'm hurting physically. And so I kind of want to spread that hurt. So I'm saying mean things to people, sharp things, fast things, mean things, not gentle. I'm boiling really quick is what's happening. My circumstances have turned the heat up in my life and I'm boiling like crazy. You see, this is so real. This is the life that we live. Humility. It's a willingness to let go of what I, have deser- what I, what I really have determined that I deserve. I have determined I do not deserve this. It's a willingness to let that go. It then looks like Gentleness or meekness, which is power and control. Yes, I could say something and cut you down quick, but I don't. I could overpower you even, physically maybe. I could overpower you, but I don't. I could intimidate you with my very presence, puffed up chest in your face, but I don't. Gentle. And it goes to patience. Long time to boil. And it continues. Bearing with one another. Now this word bearing. Mm. Your translation may say forbearing. Okay. You know what it means? It's fascinating to see what this word means. It means still holding up. Still. It has a prefix on it that means still. Continuing. Still holding up. So not just holding up. Some of us have been holding up for a while. But bearing with means still holding up. Your arms are tired. Your back is hurting. You've been here for a long time. I'm not telling you in all of your power now, still hold up. I'm telling you, allow the inner man, the spirit of God, to do more than you can ever ask or think and allow you to still hold up. And what's fascinating about this is now there's no doubt what it means, okay? See, the last word, patience, allowed for circumstances or people, but now we're to the real issue. Now we're bearing with who or what? One another. Now that's the hard part, right? Circumstances are tough. But the person looking, looking at you across the table, that's a whole other level. 
That's a whole other level. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another in love. And of course, this is agape love. This is agape love. Which is, a, which is only, a, it's only a giving love. That's all it is. It's a giving love. You have eros, which is a taking love. Eros, it's a romantic love. It's lust. It's take. You have phileo love, which is give and take. It's friendship. We're, we hang out and we give and take. We're phileo friends. It's agape love. It is only giving love. That's all it is. So I remain under, I stay, keep holding on and giving of love. Verse three, eager now to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager here is strong. Eager here is a, it is a strong guttural desire. It, it's not, it's not, oh, I really want that. It's when you, it's like down deep in your guts now. So what this is saying is when God's spirit works in us, when our new man is on display, when we're living out Ephesians 3.20, now to him was able to do far more than bunny dog can ask or think, we have now a guttural desire, a, a, a strong urge now, To be unified with other people as God's spirit works in us. We long to not be against one another. Let me say a word about this in, or that is of the spirit, of the spirit. The verse says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Now it's easy to theologically take this of all of its meaning. I'm going to warn you of it. I want to warn you against this. This doesn't mean that we all have the Spirit of God, although we do. That is not what that's saying. The eagerness now is, uh, the unity and the eagerness are of the Spirit. So what this means is, this only happens as the Spirit of God works in our hearts. We're urged to do this. So what that means is, it doesn't just naturally happen. This requires you to obey. So you walk into a room like this and you see somebody across the room and you know what? You are not unified. You are not unified. You cannot say, well, we just don't get along. We just don't see eye to eye. We'll just just leave that under the carpet. No. You're not allowed to do that. You try to do that, the spirit of God in you is going to attack your spirit. And you're going to be at war with yourself. And that's a desperate, sad place to be. To be at war with yourself. We are urged here to be eager to maintain this unity. We've got to do what it takes. We've got to get it done. We've got to have the hard conversation. We've got to go to the person and in all humility, tell them you were wrong. It's what you, what you have to do. It's not fun. You don't look forward to it. But it's what we are commanded to do here and throughout Scripture. And the beauty of all of this is all this leads to what true Spirit-filled believers want. If I ask you, what is the one thing that all Spirit-filled believers desire? What would be your answer? Can we, go, can we go through an ugly list of things that aren't the right answer? You know, the car, we already did that one. The house, no. Beautiful, athletic, smart, wonderful children. That's not to be the desires of our heart. A marriage that's just wonderful, we just skip around holding hands through the flower fields. No, that's, that's not it. That's not the priority. The best of friends that we just, you know, we're, oh, we're just bosom buddies. We got it right here. It's not the priority. Go with me to John chapter 17. Go in your Bible back several, several books to John chapter 17. 
When God's spirit is working in us, we long for the same thing that God does. The same thing that God does. And I'll close with this. John 17. Look with me at verse number 20. We have Jesus speaking. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through the word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The idea is this, that our relationships will be so characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with that those around who see us, when they see your marriage, when they see your family, when they see relations with other people here in this body, they say, wow. I don't know what they got there, but it's not of this world. It's not of this world. That kind of humility, that kind of gentleness, that kind of patience, that kind of bearing with, that doesn't come from man. There's got to be a God behind that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this truth. Father, I pray that our spirit would not depend upon flesh. Pity the man, Lord, who puts his hope in flesh. Lord, our hope is in you. Lord, I pray that we would look to you. And Father, your spirit would allow this kind of humility to be flowing out of us, Lord, to affect our relationships. And Lord, I just want to pray for anybody here that is struggling in a relationship. God, I pray that on the way home today that we would let our rights go. Be gentle. Be patient. And bear with one another in love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.